Grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Text for our meditation today, the Old Testament reading that we heard a moment ago, 1 Kings 17, verses 8 through 16. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in our Gospel reading from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So there we have it. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first God's righteousness. There's the rub, isn't it? We seek first, all too often, the kingdom of me. We seek first, instead of God's righteousness, my righteousness. We can't help it. Our sinful, fallen nature has an idol. Me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. I want what I want, and I want it now. God's word is clear. This is crass idolatry. And we have a beautiful example in our Old Testament reading for today of God's faithfulness and true faith. God's faithfulness means He makes a promise and He always keeps it. Faith has an object. True faith has as its object the Word of God, the promises of God. God's sure and certain Word in any and every situation. The text before us is very familiar to many of us. It's one of the classic Sunday school stories that we hear. Elijah. Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. A great Old Testament miracle. But there's much that happens before we get to this particular miracle. There's much that happens after this miracle, but save that for next week. In the verses preceding our text, 1 Kings 16, beginning at verse 29. In the 38th year of Azah, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Amri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Amri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. So you get the picture? Ahab is the new king, and he's going to be king for more than two decades. And Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, 
king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar in Baal for the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger him than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Ahab was a bad guy. Not a bad guy because of his economic or political policy. He was a bad guy because he was an unbeliever. He was a bad guy because, against God's word, he married a foreign wife, Jezebel. He was smart politically, and he took Jezebel's god, Baal, as his own. Jezebel from the Sidonians. We hear Tyre and Sidon quite a bit in our New Testament scriptures. Putting all the pieces together here, we have Ahab, who is perhaps the model of the biggest, most heinous, grossest idol worshiper in all of scripture. Ahab and idolatry are synonymous. So, what does God do? God raises up a prophet. A prophet who, to speak the truth. A prophet to speak the word of God. Speaking truth to power. Something we are unfamiliar with today because we cower in fear. But God raises up Elijah. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Can you imagine the courage that Elijah must have had? Ahab, and especially Jezebel, with the snap of a finger, could crush him like a bug. But God calls him out. God calls him out for his sin against the one true God. He calls him out for his crass idolatry. And as a sign, God, through Elijah, says there's going to be a drought. And it's not going to be a drought that lasts for a few weeks or a few months. It's going to be a drought that lasts for years. You will feel the pain. You will know that I am the one true God, thus says the Lord. God says it, so it comes true. What about Elijah? Well, God protects him. God takes care of the one that he sends to speak the word of God. He protects him in perhaps another familiar way. Perhaps you remember this from Sunday school. 
And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of God. He went and lived by the book Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. God provided for Elijah. He sent him, in a sense, in hiding. But he didn't forget about him. He sent the ravens in the morning. He sent the ravens in the evening. God delivered food to him in a miraculous way. And there was water in the brook to drink. How long this took place, we don't exactly know. At least a year. Maybe two. But the drought was so severe... The brook dried up. How was God going to provide for Elijah now? That's where our text for this morning picks up. Can you imagine a year or two drought going on in the land? Can you imagine the economic chaos? Can you imagine the hunger pains? Can you imagine the, the sacrifice that went on inside of families? Can you imagine the greed and the hoarding and the theft? People being oppressed and persecuted because they had no food to eat. No food, no money. Happening all throughout the world. So... God, in our text for today, says, The word of the Lord came to him, Elijah. Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Elijah, you know that Queen Jezebel, that Sidonian who wants your head? Yeah, go live there. Go live in her land where you have all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah. Go and live there. And I will provide for you. Though, Elijah goes. He hears the word of, the God, word of God and he obeys. He hears the word of God and he believes it. And he goes. And what does he find? He finds a widow in the town of Zarephath. We don't know the widow's name. We don't know how her husband died. Perhaps of starvation in the drought. Perhaps her husband, in sacrificial love, said, No, you, my wife, you, my child, you eat. We don't know, but we know that she feels not only hunger pangs, but the pangs of grief 
and the reality of death. Elijah comes. What are you doing? Oh, I'm gathering a few sticks. Going to make lunch. We're about out of food. My son and I are going to, or my child and I are going to eat it. And then prepare to die. My friends, so many times when we hear Scripture, when we hear God's Word, we hear the stories, we, we hear the sermons, and we think, this can't apply to me. I'm no Moses. I'm no Elijah. I'm no Joshua. I'm just a regular person. I have no heroic faith. How can this Word of God apply to me? My friends, all of those applications do apply to each one of us. But if you've ever had that thought or ever had that doubt, here we have this woman of Zarephath, this widow. We don't know her name. She has no money. She has no social standing. She is the lowest of the low, politically and socially. And God remembers her. God brought Elijah to her to save her. And God prepared her to save Elijah. Isn't it amazing how God puts the right people at the right place at the right time to accomplish His will? My friends, far too often we think that if we can't reason it out or if it doesn't feel right, the Word of God really doesn't apply. I want to make sense out of it. I want to know exactly what God's plan or will is for my life, down to the last detail. Rather than seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, we ignore the Word of God and seek our own will and our own way. And then we blame God when things don't turn out exactly as we have planned. My friends, we see the faithfulness of God taking care of His children. And we see the great faith of this unnamed widow. Can you imagine down to your last meal? And not only that, imagine months and months and months of rationing. Trying to stretch out that, that flour and that oil just one more day. Just one more day. Well, here, how they're to the end. That one more day, that one last day is here. Who does this Elijah think he is? Well, before you feed yourself and your child, 
Feed me. My friends, there's a very, very important lesson for us here. We so often think that the material things of this world are the most important. The size of our bank account, the clothes in our closet, the valuation of our house or our portfolio. We put our faith and our trust in these things. Elijah taught the widow, and the widow teaches us that the most important thing in life is the Word of God. What good would it do for the woman to eat and live one day longer and not have the Word of God? The promise that God brings through the prophet. Elijah brings the word of God. And the word of God brings a promise. The flour, the oil will not run out. Oh yeah, I've heard that before. The widow hears the word of God. She believes the word of God. And then she witnesses one of the most amazing miracles recorded in Scripture. My friends, today, God's word is set before us. We live in strange and unusual times, don't we? A couple of years ago, everything's moving along just fine. Our 401ks, we're going up and up and up. How many paper millionaires are there among us? Don't raise your hands. That's not so much the case now, is it? You've worked hard. You've scrimped and saved and scrimped and saved. And now you have your dollars. Your dollars to support your family. Your dollars to feed your family. Your dollars to go on vacation. And now we've all learned a hard lesson that the government can print so much money that those dollars we worked so hard to accumulate don't mean near as much and have much value. We paid little attention a few years ago to the inflation in Venezuela. Oh, we would take up a, an offering for food. But when it hits home, now the temptation to serve me, myself, and I 
is greater than I have seen it in my lifetime. The temptation to hoard. The temptation to backbite. Jealousy at one another when someone perceivably has more than me. It's not right. It's not fair. We've had this distorted view of love. That's right. Love. Love that says, love is giving me more stuff. My friends, your value is not contingent upon the amount of stuff you have. Being rich is not a sin, and being poor is not a virtue. God loves you. God sees value in you because of Christ. Because Christ has shed His blood for you. You are valuable. You are worth more than the lilies of the valley or the birds of the air, as we heard in that gospel text. My friends, today, God's Word is calling us to reevaluate what we put our faith in. God is calling us to reevaluate who we put our faith and our trust in. The widow of Zarephath shows us what Paul was talking about as he wrote in Philippians chapter 4. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13 isn't a motto that we use when our sports team is lagging behind. God gives us the strength in any and every situation. Strength to endure? Well, of course. But strength to hear the Word of God. Strength to believe the Word of God. Strength to trust that what God ordains is always good. My friends, far too often we have tried to hold God to promises that He never made. You know what I mean. Well, God, if You love me, give me a better job. Give me a better spouse. Give me more money. Give me, give me, give me. And on the other side, the real promises of God go in one ear and out the other. What has God promised us? Forgiveness, life, and salvation. In and only in. The perfect life, 
the bloody death and the glorious resurrection of Jesus for you. He has promised, never will I leave you, never will I abandon you. He has promised, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He has promised, I have made you my child in the waters of holy baptism. I feed you with my body and blood in the holy meal. These are promises that are real. These are promises that God wants us to hold Him to. My friends, for all of our crass idolatry, for all of the times we've pretended to know the will of God while ignoring the Word of God. For all of our sins and more, Christ Jesus has bled for you. He has died for you. He now lives and reigns to all eternity for you. And when the time is right, He will come and take you to the mansion prepared for you since the beginning of time. God, give us the strength not only to hear it, but to believe it and to live it. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. Now may the peace of God which far surpasses all understanding. Keep our hearts, our minds, our faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We stand and sing the offertory.